Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. Hey, Father, in your will is us peace, in your service is our joy. In your love is our redemption, and in your promise is our hope. Father, I stand here as empty as I know how, looking to you, the great author and the finisher. I pray right now that you will breathe not only on me, but breathe on this, your people. In the name of Jesus, strengthen us by power divine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Greet you with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be in the house one more time. Pray my strength. God is going to do what he's going to do anyway. No matter how we feel. Because he's God. As I sat and I listened and I heard what we all said collectively. And it's amazing how God already had, already knew what you were going to say because he led me to this passage of scripture. This morning I will be reading from Acts the 12th chapter, beginning at verse one down through verse 17. And listen to what is being being said here, Acts the 12th chapter. And if you're able to stand, stand. It reads, it says, and it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to siege Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood God at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloth around you and follow me. And the angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guard 
and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when he, this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rodana came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were all astonished. That's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Think with me this morning that God is in control. God is in control. It's a phrase we use often, mostly as an easy slogan when something goes wrong. There's no place in Scripture that says these words precisely, but situations in the Bible demonstrates the truth of God's control. His omnipotence is a fact whether we like it or not. How is control defined? Several words come to mind. Control means God's authority, his subjection, his sovereignty, his power, his dominance, his resilience, his resistance. We Christians affirm our belief in the sovereignty of God, but our faith is challenged in times of natural disturbance. Our faith is challenged in times of national disasters. Our faith is challenged in times of personal affliction, pain and poverty, disease and death, sorrow and suffering, all tend to cause us to think seriously about God as creator and controller of the world in which we are a part of. It's not always easy to believe that God is in control. The word sovereign comes from the Latin word meaning super. It conveys the idea of superior and supreme, primary and paramount, unequal and unexcelled. The God of the Bible is eternal and self-existent. He's supreme in excellence and perfect in all his ways. 
He's the one and only autonomous, self-contained and self-controlled with the right and power of self-government. In other words, God's sovereignty means God can do anything he wants to do, anytime he wants to do it, any way he wants to do it, and for any purpose he wants to accomplish. That's the sovereignty of God. This reminds me of that familiar idiom that every cloud has a silver lining, which means that when a situation seems to be desperate, there's always hope for better things to come. See, we experience this as we struggle with cancer or some other illness, as we constantly live with the effects of depression or some other chronic ailment, which affects us every minute of our lives, as we struggle with abuse in our lives, which cannot seem to shake, or as we stand at the graveside of someone we deeply love. This proverb is used to encourage a person who is facing great difficulties and is unable to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And today's passage does not guarantee that all believers will escape the hands of their tormentors. What it guarantees is that even though all earthly forces may assemble against you or the word of God, they cannot prevail. They cannot prevail. This is the guarantee that God gives us. As I look at the text, our text deals with an intense time for the early church. It shows us how the first century Christians face certain dangers. See, God was clearly at work and the church was growing. Thousands had been saved by the grace of God and the church's influence was spreading. Such growth created much concern for the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And their disdain for the church resulted in intense persecution. We don't think that there's persecution like then, like it is now. But I got to tell you that the church is still being persecuted. Every time you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, people look at you cockeyed. The church is still being persecuted. It is believed that these events happened about eight years following the stoning of Stephen. And even though Saul had been converted to Paul, the persecution had not decreased and it appeared to be growing. See, we all can attest that the dangers we face as 21st century Christians are very different for us today. But the question is the same. How courageous are we when opponents spring up to hinder our witness to Christ? How are you individually strong enough to take a stand for what Jesus has already said, 
to give a word that lies within your spirit? How willing are we to stand up against those that says that it ain't no God? Where was he when my mother died? It ain't no God. Where was he when my father died? It ain't no God. Where was he when my child was killed in a car accident? It ain't no God. Are you willing to stand up and be persecuted for Christ? Because Christ stood up because he was persecuted for us. See, King Herod was arresting Christians with the intention of torturing them publicly before they were killed. Christians were being persecuted at a very intense level. Our text says that it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Watch out. You could be arrested just for belonging to the church. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death. This is not the James, the half-brother of Jesus, but this is one of the brothers of the brothers of thunder. James, the brother of John, was put to death. The Pharisees in this day had a major social clout and could influence the decisions of King Agrippa. I believe that the killing of James was not motivated solely by King Agrippa's decision, but instead he chose to murder James in order to maintain support from the Jews and use the persecution of Christians as a positive political pawn for himself. As I thought about that, I think about our own situation with the government Red states against blue states. If you ask a Republican why they voted for a man that appeared to be evil, they would say, well, I didn't vote for him. I voted for the party. That tells me that whoever is leading your party, no matter what, no matter how morally or immorally they are, you're willing to vote for them. That means if Hitler was a Republican, you'd be willing to vote for him because you're voting for the party. And I'm saying to the church this morning, this is not a political campaign, but I vote for Jesus because Jesus is over all the parties. He's Jesus Christ. He died for the red states and the blue states. He died for me. He died for you. And we have to understand that this was persecution and you see persecuting Christians would have been seen as a very favorable concept in the eyes of the Jews. In the same way as being pro-life is favorable in the eyes of most conservatives today. See, King Herod was eager to win the favor of the Jews. Sometime individually, we'll eager to win the favor of those who follow us, of those who listen to us. He had Peter arrested and placed in the inner prison. And under the 
watchful care of what is said here in the text of 16 soldiers. That's what it says in the text. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. And this happened during the feast of the unlevel bread. He arrested Peter and placed him. And Herod planned on making a public spectacle of Peter before executing him. It's amazing how people want to put you on display. They want to use you as an example, negative or either positive, for their own plot. This was a strategy move. This was strategic because it calculated, it was a calculation to bring the most praise from the Jews while striking intense fear in the hearts of those within the church. See, Peter was apprehended during Passover. This was the holiest of celebrations for the Jews. At this time, tens of thousands of Jews would have been made the, the pyramids to Jerusalem. And likely Herod intended to execute Peter following the Passover, seeking to maximize the exposure among the Jewish population. See, Peter was a well-known Christian leader in the church at this point. So Herod could make this point to a lot of Christians all at one time. Things did not look good for Peter. But the only answer that I can see that this is the sovereign will of Christ. So today I want to give you three observations that I see in this text. That I see in verses 1 through 4, I see God sees our trials. See, sometimes we don't think God sees what we're going through, but God knows your trials. He sees you. He knows every step you take. See, in 1 Peter 3.12, it reads, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. See, God watches and, and note, noted that Herod, Agrippa, the war first, was doing to his people. God saw what he was doing. This evil man was the grandson of Herod the Great who ordered the Bethlehem children to be murdered and the nephew of Herod and Antipodus who had John the Baptist beheaded. See, Herod, families, they were ruthless and cruel. A scheming and murderous family. They despised the Jews who resented having Edomites ruling over them. Remember, the Edomites, they were descendants of Esau. These verses give us confidence that God sees what we suffer. He's planning to deliver us and that he has our best interest at hand. He shows up when we mess up. The problem in our culture is that we hate trials. One of the great idols of our time is comfort. We spend so much money trying to become creators and sustainers of our own safe, contained world. If we live long enough in this world, we would inevitably go through some kind of suffering. You can't evade it. You can't escape it. 
That's a part of the natural existence of life. But as Christians, we can take comfort in the fact that it is not pointless. God is shaping and pruning us all the way through every trial. Every step of the way, God is with you. God knows your trials. He knows what you're going through. That's why David said he knows your down sittings and your uprisings. Herod had stretched forth his hand to destroy this church, but God would stretch forth his hand to perform a sign and a wonder and to glorify his son. God allowed Herod to kill James, but he kept him from harming Peter. It was the throne in heaven that was in control, not the throne on earth. Christians can trust and rely on him to supply and rescue as he did by the sacrifice of his son. That's why God sent his son into the world, that you might know him and the pardon of our sins. God knows our suffering. He knows our trials. He knows what we stand in the need of. Then the text goes on. In verse 5 it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was kept in prison. It doesn't say that the church was praying for his release. It just says that the church was earnestly praying for him. Just like we said earlier, we want you to be in prayer for the church. The church has many needs, not one in particular, but we're presently praying for them earnestly. The next thing that I see in the text is that God hears our prayers. If you don't pray, then God don't hear what you're saying. Even though God already knows what's in your heart, but he wants us to verbally utter and remind him of what he said already in his word. He said, lo, I'll be with you, what? Always, even until the end of the world. God hears our prayers. Never underestimate the power of a praying church. See, we live in a time of growing spiritual darkness. But the good news is that we can do something about it. Words show up. God, words show us what to do in this remarkable story about the early church. See, we have to put a greater priority on prayer. That's what it's saying. Don't just pray when you get in trouble. Pray before trouble comes. You got to have a consistent prayer life. Don't wait till something happens. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I need you. You needed him way before that. And that's what we have to understand. And that's what this text is trying to get us to see. That's what the early church did when this terrible crisis arose. The church offered constant prayer to God for Peter. 
See, the early church was praying, a praying church. When danger come, they prayed. When dissension came, they prayed. When they were desperate, they prayed. And when they did not know what to do, they prayed. The early church was a praying church. And that's the kind of church God wants us to be. Calling on him, our ever-present source of help. We can defeat the darkness by putting a priority on prayer. But we also have to rely on the demon. The early church was a praying church. If the church that's written here is our model, then what are we going to do? We must have faith in God. We must depend on his divine help. We must believe that our God is both able and willing to help us in any situation. So what is the blessing in these verses? I'm glad you asked me. Because it says that the night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, both with two chains, and the sentry guard stood at the entrance. And it says, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And Peter was awakened by the angel. He was fast asleep. The text says Peter was sound asleep. And the angel had to strike him on the side to wake him up. And if you were chained to two Roman soldiers and facing the possibility of being executed the next day, I don't know if I'd have been sound asleep. Can you imagine if you're on death row and you know that it's only a matter of minutes before they come to get you? I don't know if I would be a sound asleep. But the text says that Peter was a sound asleep. He was sleeping like it was no big deal. He was sleeping like it was no problem. He was saying that, Lord, I'm in your hands. Let your will be done. That's the blessing that's in the text. What gave Peter confidence and peace? He remembered that many believers were praying for him each and every day. This helped bring him peace. See, prayer has a way of reminding us of the promises of God's words. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, Satan and those who oppose us may feel as if they have gained the upper hand. But we are never separated from the will of God. He is there with us whenever we go 
in whatever situation we face. We need not fear facing this world and then the opposition that it brings. The angel of the Lord instructed Peter to get dressed and follow him. There were certainly ordinary tasks to do while a miracle is taking place. In other words, the angel woke him up and said, get your cloak, get your shoes. Peter still in what he thought was a trance. He thought probably he was dreaming. But can you imagine somebody telling you to wake up? If there was a fire at your house and somebody woke you up and told you to get your shoes and your coat, the first thing you would smell is smoke. And boy, you ain't thinking about no shoes and cloak. You ain't thinking about no cell phone or purse. But here you can see that even in the midst of a miracle, that God wants us to be calm and do the ordinary task. Remember, Jesus multiplied the loaves of fishes, but commanded the disciples what? To gather up the leftovers. That was an ordinary task. Remember when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, but he then told her parents to give her something to eat. After a miracle, God would give us an ordinary task to do. God often joins the miraculous with the ordinary to remind us of our humility and our obedience. And that's what this angel of the Lord was trying to get Peter to understand. That wake up, Peter. This is no ordinary thing. This is a miraculous miracle. God had heard the prayers of the church, of the people that had been praying for him. Now God was using him as an example. Then the text goes on. In verse 11, it says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel. Here's the part, the third part that I saw in this text. is the answer is knocking at the door. Sometimes when we hear the knock at the door, even today's climate, we want to know who that is. They should have called before they came. I ain't expecting nobody. Peter headed for the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. He wanted to report the good news that God had answered their prayers. The answer to their prayers was standing at the door but they don't have faith enough to open the door and let him in. Poor Peter had to keep knocking and calling while the believers in the prayer meeting decided what to do. See, we must face the fact that even in the most fervent prayer meeting, there is sometimes a spirit of doubt and unbelief. These Jewish Saints believed that God could answer their prayer. But when the answer came knocking at the door, they refused to believe it. Sometimes as Christians, God has already given us the answer. It was knocking at the door, but we refused to open it. This is how God works. Look at the text. It says that 
when the servant girl ran to the door, she heard Peter's voice. She knew it was Peter, but she didn't open the door. She ran back and she told Deacon Nix and the Deacon Board that, hey, Peter is knocking at the door. They said, no way it could be Peter. Peter is in jail. He's going to be executed very soon. She said, no, he's knocking at the door. Peter kept on knocking. He was trying to get their attention. There's nothing to be afraid of in our lives because whatever trouble we face, God was in it before it started, and he will be with us through the end. And yet, when we know these things, we sometimes want to take control and try to make our lives easier. Paul wrote this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. See, every believer has a precise advantage over the world and all the trouble that it brings. We have the benefit of faith, and those who are in Christ are secure within his mighty hand. The world can bring nothing against us that our Lord doesn't allow. He is more than able to keep us through whatever adversity or trials we face. He loved us enough to die for our sins on Calvary. He isn't about to abandon us in the journey of life. When believers place their trust in the Lord to face dangerous times, the will of God always wins out. See, God graciously honors even the weakest faith but how much more he would do if only we would trust in him. This is God is in control. I'm done, but I do have a story. A lady one day was driving down the street. She noticed in her rearview mirror that a huge truck seemed to be following her too close. She sped up to create some distance, only to discover that the truck sped up too. The faster she went, the faster he went. She made a right turn, he made a right turn. She made a left turn, he made a left turn. She got off the expressway, he got off the expressway. She got off at the exit, he got off at the exit. Terror became to sweep over this woman's face as it became clear that this guy was following her. It was at night and she needed to do something. So she pulled into an all night gas station where there was lights and where there were people. She rushed out of a car and ran inside screaming. The man in the truck pulled up right behind her, rushed out of the truck and pulled out a man who had been hiding in the back seat of her car. You see, what the lady didn't know was that the one she was running from was really her savior. Sometimes as Christians, we have what is called a distorted view 
We think we know what's going on because in reality, we don't. We spend a lot of time running away from God instead of running to God. He sits high and looks low, and he's able to see everything. And many of us are living life, a life with a distorted view. We're running in fear of the wrong thing. We spend all of our energy trying to fix our souls, fix our personalities, but our souls are not the enemy. This reminds me of the sovereignty of God. And no matter how painful, no matter how hurtful, no matter how difficult or seemingly impossible, God can and will use that situation to achieve his divine purpose. And sometime in our lives, we feel that God is not there for us. However, despite what we might think, God is always in control. That's the assurance that we have today as believers. Look at what the story did. Peter was fast asleep. Peter didn't have no worry. Sometimes we worry about the wrong things. God said, yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, we shouldn't feel no evil. He said, for thou art with you. And we have that assurance today that God is in control. Stand on your feet. I'm done. As they play softly, there may be somebody on the telephone line that need to be reassured that God is in control. He knows where you are right now. He knows the fear that you may have in your heart, especially during this time of a pandemic that's killing hundreds of thousands of people. But God said he's concerned about you. He's concerned about your soul. He's concerned about if you die today, where would you be? So today is the day that the day that we're offering the plan of salvation to you. You could come by letter. You could come on water baptism. You could come on your Christian experience. If you don't know Jesus Christ and the pardon of your sin, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Salvation is yours. Is there one on the line that don't know Jesus Christ? There's one on the line that don't have a church home and the church of Redeemer is here. I challenge you that all you have to do is just call the church any day through the week. Leave your name and phone number and we'll call you back and we'll walk you through the plan of salvation. As my brother sings, is there one? Is there one? We offer Christ to you, oh my brother.